our oldest grandson, Parker, is 15, and he's into theater. Uh, some kids enjoy soccer, baseball, gymnastics, art, music, whatever, but his thing is theater, and he's very good at it. Uh, in the fifth grade, he was a scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz. Uh, he was the cat in the hat in the Seussical, uh, or Seussical Junior, I think maybe it was. And since I moved to Texas, uh, and he's been in other productions, but he's had kind of a small role uh, being a, a freshman. And now that they're doing high school musical junior, and some of the upperclassmen had to jump out, or drop out, I should say, for different reasons. And so that opened the door for some of the other kids that were younger and giving them a larger role. You know, as parents and grandparents, we need to be aware of our children's strengths and weaknesses, their, what their interests are, what they really like and what they really don't like. Uh, is too often we see parents kind of pushing their kids into something that's the parent's choice. And the child really isn't that interested, and so they're not going to do real well, and they're not going to put an awful lot of effort into it because it's not something that they're really interested in themselves. And so, you know, we need to pay attention and see, you know, what they're good at and what they're not good at, and and maybe just concentrate on one or two areas. I, I know some uh, kids, you know, they get pushed into like three or four things at the same time. They're doing dance, they're doing basketball, they're doing uh, soccer and, you know, gymnastics and all that all at the same time. And, uh, you know, it, it's sometimes just what the parents would like to see them be doing. Uh, sometimes I think it's the parents kind of reliving their uh, childhood through them. So maybe sometimes what we need to do is just back off, okay, and let them learn how to make choices. Uh, give them that opportunity because that's something that we need to teach them. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks for your word. And Lord, I, I just want to look at... Um, things in the Old Testament, New Testament, things that um, that we maybe kind of forget about or take for granted or just read over them and move on. But you know, Lord, uh, I just pray that you'll use this message to maybe help us understand some things that maybe we don't right now. So Lord, I just ask your Holy Spirit will work in us and through us and, and guide us and help us to get what we need to get out of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, what's for dinner? Well, first of all, is it dinner or is it supper? Okay, when I was growing up, it was always supper. And so I needed to find out the difference. Now, according to the internet, so it must be right, uh, dinner typically holds a more serious connotation and refers to a heavy full meal, while supper is often used more informally and refers to a lighter meal eaten at home. Dinner is seen as a big meal of the day whenever it's eaten. You know, Sunday dinner or, you know, a dinner during the, the week. Uh, 
and I know that, um, you know, like I said, I grew up with, with supper. Um, I remember having dinner, Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas dinner would be the only times. But So let's move on from that now that we have that cleared up. So let's take a look at what the Bible says about what's for dinner. Some people say that we're not to eat meat. You know, we're not to kill any animals. And they tell us, you know, well, it's in the Bible. You know, it says that. You know, well, that's not true. Okay, in Genesis 3, 21, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Uh, I like how it says his wife, not Eve. Uh, so where do you think those skins came from? And how do you think the Lord obtained them? He had to kill one or more animals in order to get their clothing for them. Uh, so it doesn't tell us what happened to the skinned animals. Uh, I don't think God had a picnic with Adam and Eve and said, hey, let's go do some burgers, you know, as long as I got this meat here. Well, let's get to the meat of the topic. No pun intended. Uh, Leviticus, Leviticus 11. Uh, the whole 47 verses go into great detail about what is clean and what is unclean uh, when it comes to eating. Okay, and I'll let you read the whole chapter, uh, but, you know, like I said, there's a lot of detail there in Levit Leviticus 11. So let me give you just kind of a, a quick overview. Okay, verses 2 and 3, it says, any animal that has a divided hoof and choose the cud, except camels and a hyrex, which I didn't know what that was. Uh, it's basically a 10-pound rodent with hooves. Uh, it can eat rabbits or pigs. They are unclean. Okay, verses 9 through 12, it says animals in the sea and streams. You may eat anything that has fins or scales. Anything else is unclean. Okay, then verses 13 to 19, birds, any birds, except an eagle, vulture, ravens, owls, storks, hawks, herons, or bats. Well, which we know are not birds. They fly, but they're not birds. Uh, flying insects. Okay, there's some good flying insects that you can eat. Uh, flying insects that walk on all fours and those that have jointed legs for hopping on the ground, like locusts or katydids or crickets or grasshoppers. Every other bug is unclean. Uh, it's more bad stuff. Uh, weasel, rats, lizards, geckos, skinks, and chameleon. Uh, that was in verses 29 and 30. Verse 39. Uh, here's an exception to the good stuff. Uh, it says, if an animal that you are allowed to eat dies, anyone who touches its carcass will be unclean until evening. So if it just if it dies on its own, uh, you know, that it's not killed with a spear or an arrow at that time, or a gun. Uh, so, and I guess you probably can't eat roadkill. Verses 41, 42, every creature that moves along the ground is to be regarded as unclean, and it is not to be eaten. You are not to eat any creatures that move along the ground, whether it moves on its belly 
or walks on all fours or on many feet, it is unclean. So Adam and Eve couldn't have gotten their revenge on that nasty serpent and fried him up. Okay, finally in verse 47, you must distinguish between the unclean and the clean, between living creatures that may be eaten and those that may not be eaten. Okay, I was doing okay with the eating part until I got to locusts and grasshoppers, though I guess they're considered a delicacy in some places, just like a lot of the other stuff uh, is edible in some places and not others. Well, the next four chapters of Leviticus talk about clean and unclean in other areas. Uh, eating rules were very strict and very plainly spelled out. So you had no excuse. And the Lord gave Moses all that he was going to need. So that's what the Old Testament has to say. And it's repeated in, in other places in the Old Testament. Well, now let's see what the New Testament that says if there's any changes of any kind. Let's start with Jesus. Well, who did Jesus eat with? Okay, well, Luke 19, 1 through 9, tells us that familiar story about Jesus eating with that wee little man, Zacchaeus. Okay, Jesus was in Jericho, and Zacchaeus wanted to see him. He probably heard about him. Maybe he'd seen him before, not that we know of, but he just kind of wanted to see, you know, what all the fuss was about. So he's being very short. He couldn't see over the crowd. And so he climbed up in a tree. And Zacchaeus said in verse 5 of Luke 19, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Jesus went to Zacchaeus's house. Now, it doesn't tell us that he ate there, but it would be assumed that he ate something, uh, just part of being a good host. So what's the problem? Well, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and not just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. So in other words, he had other tax collectors working under him. And so he was hated by the Jews. Those that knew him hated him because he was a Jew working for Rome. So it's not being able to see Jesus until he climbed the tree was probably part of the problem, but there was maybe more problem because in verse 7 it says, all the people saw this and began to mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner, a guest of our enemy. So Jesus' response, well, the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. But because of this meeting, Zacchaeus became a believer. But Zacchaeus's problem in seeing Jesus, you know, was that he was short. But I'm sure if it was somebody other than him, some short person, and they wanted to get up front to be able to see Jesus, you know, probably most people would let him go through and, and get up front and be able to see and since he was the chief tax collector, in no way I'm going to let you get ahead of me. Well, now we find Jesus in the company of those on the other end of the spectrum. In Luke 7, verse 36, 
It says, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, we don't know if the Pharisee's invitation was, you know, really legitimate or or not. You know, was he trying to catch Jesus as at something? Or was he just trying to find out more about Jesus? Probably the former. He was probably trying to catch Jesus in something that they could arrest him for. Well, it didn't take long for things to line up for the Pharisee, or so he thought. Because it says, A sinful woman came and was weeping. Tears fell on Jesus' feet, and she used her hair to wipe his feet. And from this, the Pharisee is thinking, man, this Jesus guy, he's just a real phony, isn't he? And Jesus knew the man's thoughts. And so he told a parable in verses 48 and 49 of Luke 7. It says, then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this? He even forgives sins. Well, obviously, there were some sinners there for dinner besides the woman. But she was the one that had her sins forgiven. Well, staying in Luke, in chapter 11, it says, When Jesus finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went and reclined at the table. But this Pharisee was surprised when he noticed Jesus did not first wash before the meal. And Jesus knew what this man was thinking, thinking about. And so he unloaded on this Pharisee. Not just once, but the six woes of the Pharisees. As you can imagine, that didn't go over very well. They stepped up the opposition Okay, then they decide we really got to get this guy. He's really causing a problem. He's making us look bad. He's saying bad things about us. And so we got to take care of this guy. Well, in Matthew 25, Jesus speaks about how people one day will be separated. Okay, in verse 35, it says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And so Jesus said, okay, all you guys... You move over to the right. And then in verse 44, it says, Lord, when did we see you hungry and not help you? And Jesus said, okay, you guys need to move over to the left. Because what Jesus was talking about was, I was hungry, I was tired, I was in prison, I was sick. And either you did something to help me out or you didn't do something to help me out. One side, the good side, was the sheep. The bad side was the goats. And so you fell on one side or the other. And what Jesus' meaning is, you know, I'm not just talking about what you did for me. I'm talking about what you did for anyone. Okay, if you didn't do those things for anyone, you know, you didn't do it for me. Okay, this talks about the giving of food, but I believe Jesus expects more than that from us. 
He wants, wants us to sit with those that are in need and share a meal with them. Not likely in many cases. Well, in Acts 10, we find Peter having a vision. And the passage starts with Cornelius, uh, a Roman, is having an angelic visitation. And in that, he's told that he's to have Peter to come and teach. Well, Peter's vision starts in verse 11 of Acts 10. It says, he saw heaven opened up and something like a large sheet being let down by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, such as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. It said, Do not call anything impure that God has made. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back up. Now, after this, three men and Cornelius, or excuse me, Cornelius sent three men to go and get Peter. And so Peter and some others went to Cornelius's home. You know, like I said, he was a Roman. He was a Gentile. Acts 10, 28, 9 says, Peter said to them, once he got there, he says, you are well aware that it's against the law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I, I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Now, most Bible scholars interpret these verses is saying Gentiles are okay, okay, which it does because Peter was sent to a Gentile's home. But it sounds to me like God was saying something else. Remember all that stuff Moses said that you couldn't eat? Now you can. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe there was more to Peter's vision than Acts 10 tells us. But in what we're told, it says nothing about people. Obviously, Peter is interpreted to say Gentiles are okay. I'm going to go with my interpretation unless I'm proven wrong. You choose what you want. Well, in 1 Corinthians 10, we see Paul, and he's writing about the freedom that believers have. In verses 23 and 24, he says, I have the right to do anything. You say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Okay, true statement. Okay, we should be seeking the good of others and not only ourselves. Now, listen to what he says in verses, uh, beginning in verse 25. It says, Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for 
The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If a believer invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered to a sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews Greeks, or the Church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that many will be saved. Eat anything sold in the meat market, he said. Wow. Sounds to me like Paul saying, hey, everything is fair game. You go to the meat market and you know they're selling ham, go for it. You go to the meat market and they're selling rabbit, that's okay. Okay, not what we heard from Leviticus. But at the same time, he's saying, do not cause anyone to stumble. Well, does that mean I shouldn't eat a burger in front of a vegan? No, if they're true to what they believe, I'm not going to cause them to stumble. Might get them upset, but it should not cause them to stumble because if they're set in their beliefs, what I do shouldn't make any difference to them. Well, Paul has more to say concerning this eating and drinking thing and answers what I just said. In Romans 14, there's several verses, but in Verses 1 through 3 says, Except the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows him to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God accepted them. Now, I don't think Paul is saying you can judge a person's faith by what they eat. Okay? Because what he said, you know, if your faith allows you to eat anything, fine. And someone whose faith is weak eats vegetables. He's not saying vegetarians, vegans, they got to be weak in faith. So let me skip down to verses 13 to 17. Says, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed by what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. 
if, excuse me, do not by your eating destroy someone whom Christ died for. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we're not to put a stumbling block in a believer's path. Okay, if you're out with your vegan friend and you know that if you get a hot dog that they're really going to be upset, you know, you sit down and eat a salad with them. Okay, you don't put a stumbling block there. Okay, especially somebody that's new to the faith. They've got enough stuff to deal with from other people. So we're trying to help others grow in faith and understanding. Like Paul says, we're to be acting in love, certainly to other believers. In verse 20, it says, Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. My conclusion from these verses in Acts 10 and 1 Corinthians and Romans 14, what does this tell us? You can eat anything you want as long as it has not been sacrificed to idols and does not cause someone else to get tripped up in their faith. Trying to find a song that would fit this, that was a real challenge. Okay, there's some communion songs that talk about coming to the table. And I thought, no, nah, that really doesn't fit where we're going with this. So I found one that, you know, maybe I could use this one. I'll fill my cup, Lord, but no, nah, I don't think so. So this was the best that I could come up with. God will make a way. No matter what we may be struggling with, God will make a way. If we aren't able to come up with what is right, God will make a way. This is what that song says. <clears throat> God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Close, hold me closely to his side. With love and strength for each new day, he will make a way. He will make a way. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word and, and how it may seem new to us. It may give us instructions that sometimes we, we get confused with, but Lord, we just pray that you'll uh, let your Holy Spirit speak to us and that we'll get from your word what we need to. And so, Lord, I just lift up my brothers and sisters and Lord, like it says, we can eat whatever we want, drink whatever we want, as long as it doesn't cause someone else to stumble. And it doesn't put a stumbling block in the path of a believer. So, Father, help us to remember that. Uh, when we're in our homes or someone else's home or out to eat uh, in a restaurant somewhere, Lord, to remember uh, just the fact that people are watching us and seeing just how we act. Lord, I lift up anyone that may be listening to this that doesn't know you, uh, that has no relationship with you, and you know didn't know that God said anything about eat this and not that or anything else like that. 
Lord, I just pray that they'll be brought into relationship with you, that they'll see that today is the day that they need to come to you, and that, Lord, you are ready to make a difference in their life, that, Lord, you are ready to turn their life around completely uh, from what they've thought and believed, that, Lord, you want to give them the truth because you are the God of truth. So, Father, help them to know that they they won't be turned away because you are there for everyone, uh, even a sinner like me. So, Father, help them to pray this. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. Jesus is your Son. Jesus is the Savior. Accept me into your family. Teach me to love. Teach me to be who you need me to be. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to love others the way you love others. In Jesus' name, amen.